Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Jehocraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. As always, my dear friends, it is great to be with you another evening, this Wednesday evening, where we will continue our reflections into 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We really will be in more or less chapter 13 today, but as we treat the beginning of chapter 13, we will have to go back into chapter 12. Really inching ever closer to the close of our study on First and Second Corinthians. As I noted on Monday, I anticipate that by the end of next week, we will be done with Second Corinthians. And so this is why I am calling upon all of you listeners out there to continue to send me your, just not your questions about what I'm talking about here on Seeds of Truth Radio, but also your suggestions into what you might want me to talk more about, Okay. It is very important for me to respond to you. Certainly, there are a lot of things on my heart to talk about, maybe a particular topic concerning spirituality, or maybe, as I noted yesterday, a particular book in the Old Testament. But before I make that executive decision, I do want to hear from you. Okay, so please do not hesitate to email me. You can email me at jholljmj at yahoo.com or you can go to my website at joeholcraft.org and just hit the contact link button there and send your message on its way. And before we get into our principal subject matter for this evening, I did just want to kind of take a step back this evening and really call all of us to be mindful of those who are suffering from all of the natural disasters that have taken place over the last month and continue to take place. You know, we've had Hurricane Harvey and, and Irma, these earthquakes that have been going on, certainly the big one that hit in Mexico. And uh, for those of you who know, I do live in Northern California, and I am not in the way of these fires in Northern California, but certainly I and many of us know loved ones who have had to evacuate their homes as these fires are just ripping through uh, the Sonoma and Napa Valley area, Santa Rosa, and also uh, those who are in the path of fires down south. This is a time, my friends, where there are a lot of people suffering, and we need to enter into that suffering. We need to enter into literally what it means to be compassionate, compassio, to suffer with. The idea there is that we literally enter into the shoes, step into the shoes of the person that is suffering. Okay, what I do here on Seeds of Truth is offer you commentary and reflections on the Christian and Catholic life, and, and hopefully it has proved beneficial for you. But my dear friends, if we cannot apply this to everyday life, most especially when it calls us to enter into God's own merciful love, then what I'm doing is pointless. It's pointless. It must bear fruit. So we have to ask that question, Lord, what are you calling me to do in this moment? Maybe you don't live in the state of California or the country of Mexico, or you didn't find yourself in the past of these hurricanes and tropical storms. Okay, but that doesn't mean you're not called to do something. 
right? There's always something more to do. <clears throat> Remember when Jesus was ministering to the people and he was going from town to town and he went off, he, he withdrew, right? He, he recollected, he retreated. And when the apostles found him, they said, Jesus, Jesus, we have to go back because they want to spend more time with you. And what does Jesus say? We must plow forward. We must move forward. There's more people to touch. There's more souls to evangelize. There's more love to give. Okay, so mindful of this truth, we have to ask the question, Lord, what more do you want me to do? This is an important question because it really does get us up off our couches. There's never a time to over-relax. It's one thing to go to work, work a long day, labor for 8, 10, 12 hours, and then come home to relax for a little bit. It's another thing to go to work, labor for 10 to 12 hours, and then plop yourself on your couch for six hours watching, you know, three movies. This isn't what life is about, right? Life is so much more than that. And once we can really grapple with that question, Lord, what more do you want me to do? Will we begin to understand what I'm talking about right now? So as I say, I step back because everything we talk about here on Seeds of Truth needs to pour itself into how we are called to serve, right? I can never overestimate that point. All right, now, all of that being said, jumping back into 2 Corinthians, and before we read, before I read chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, I think we need to go back to chapter 12, verses 19 to 21. Remember what I said about chapters and verses as it relates to sacred scripture? We did not have chapters and verses until the Middle Ages, right? So you would just read John without stopping at the end of chapter one because there was no chapter one, right? You would just continue on. Now that is relevant because there is a tendency for us to read a chapter and then stop at the end of a chapter. And while commentaries and theologians have organized sacred scripture for us so as to find those more natural endpoints of a theme or topic, there are times where, when we say read the beginning of chapter 2 of a gospel, we need to go back to the end of chapter 1 because otherwise you, you can lose sequence of thought. And I speak to all of this now because you have that going on in chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Because really to understand those four verses, you have to first understand the verses we spoke to yesterday. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and read chapter 12, verses 19 to 21, along with chapter 13, verses 1 to 4. Have you been thinking all along that we are defending ourselves before you? In the sight of God, we are speaking in Christ and all for building you up, beloved. For I fear that when I come, I may find you not such as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that there may be rivalry, jealousy, fury, selfishness, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humiliate me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, immorality, and licentiousness they practiced. This third time I am coming to you. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a fact shall be established. I warned those who sinned earlier and all the others, and I warn them now while absent as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not be lenient. 
since you are looking for proof of Christ speaking in me. He is not weak towards you, but powerful in you. For indeed, he was crucified out of weakness, but he lives by the power of God. So also we are weak in him, but toward you we shall live with him by the power of God. Okay, so essentially what's going on here in these verses, chapter 13, verses 1 to 4, is that we have Paul repeating his announcement that he is coming to Corinth for the third time, huh? Now, what's interesting here is that he cites a legal instruction from the book of Deuteronomy, and as he does, he informs the community that he is now ready to take disciplinary action against those who who persist in their sins. You know, I was just talking about how we need to read one chapter in light of the preceding verses. Well, what about the New Testament in light of the Old Testament? St. Paul quotes the Old Testament over five hundred times. Five hundred times. So when someone comes to me and asks the question, hey Joe, do we really need to know the Old Testament? Of course we do. (laughs) Of course we do, because if you don't know the Old Testament, then you'll never understand the New Testament, because the New Testament is constantly harking back to the Old Testament. I mean, how can you understand the fulfillment if you don't first understand the promise? This is the beautiful structure of our faith, is it not? Here, St. Paul is quoting Deuteronomy. I know Deuteronomy is not a book we, we go to bed reading every night, right? <laughs> Just a list of laws. But when you read the New Testament, what you quickly discover is the importance of understanding its role in the fulfillment. And certainly, St. Paul pays close attention to that. So, St. Paul indicates that he has been challenged by the Corinthians to prove that what? Christ speaks in him. While Paul is prepared to punish the guilty, what does he insist? But that his ultimate proof is that he conducts himself through the power of the risen Jesus in the way of our Lord's self-giving love. Now, as he did in chapter 12, verses 14 and following, Paul notifies the Corinthians that he is coming to them for the third time. And he follows this announcement again with a quotation from Scripture, a text that comes from Deuteronomy 19. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a fact shall be established. A fact shall be established. The text in Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, is a legal prescription that offered protection against inadequate or false testimony. Okay, so here St. Paul is hearkening back to the Old Testament to really begin to shape and form his argument. According to that passage, Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, two or more witnesses were required to convict a person of crime. So the question that begs to be asked is, why does Paul cite this particular passage, and how does he appeal to its legal function. Well, first, he reminds the community that he has already warned those who sinned earlier and all the others when he was present on his second visit to Corinth. I just read verses 19 to 21 because I wanted to apply that phrase, those who sinned earlier, uh, to chapter 12, verse 21, right? Because there is where St. Paul is talking about those who persisted in sexual immorality. 
the phrase all the others points to those members of the community who are engaged in those types of divisive attitudes and behaviors that we just read. In addition, St. Paul makes clear that he is again warning them now while absent, that is, as he writes. So then, what is the content of Paul's repeated warning? Well, that if the Corinthians stubbornly remain in their sinful ways, he will not be lenient. Literally, he will not spare. Essentially, my friends, the time to repent and amend their ways are now, okay? Not three hours from now, 10 hours from now, tomorrow, a week from now. No, now. It's very important to understand that the greatest gift we have been given is the present moment, the present moment to embrace Jesus Christ, to live in Jesus Christ, and to give glory to Jesus Christ in all that we say and do, right? The present moment. This certainly is what St. Paul is highlighting here. Now, up to this point, Paul has sought to spare the community the rod of discipline. (laughs) However, he will no longer do so if he finds members of the community persisting in actions that undermine, what did we talk about yesterday? The holiness of the church, the temple of the living God, the temple of the living God. I don't know if I've ever talked about this before. What does the word profanity mean? What does the word profanity mean? We apply profanity to uh, cursing and, and when we swear. It is a word that comes from the Latin profanum that literally translates outside the temple, outside the temple. What was the temple? The temple was the place where God dwelled, right? The temple was the place of the sacred. So when we swear or curse, the holiness of God is no longer dwelling in us as we are temples of the Holy Spirit. The sacredness of God is no longer dwelling within us as again, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. You see, my friends, once you begin to spend a little extra time with some of these verses, we begin to discover not only insights into our Christian Catholic faith, but a practical application to them. If only we can understand the significance of that phrase that St. Paul uses back in chapter 6, verse 16, when he talks about us being a temple of the living God. That if we are engaging in sexual perversion and other divisive attitudes, we really are living a life that speaks to this profanity. Because profanity just isn't cursing and swearing. Profanity in of itself is all actions that act against God's prescriptions for for sanctity and holiness, right? So I think a point that is well worth spending time with. All right, so St. Paul here is now speaking in this very definitive language, is he not? And as he does so, He cites Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, to emphasize the gravity of his warning. And in doing so, St. Paul employs the notion of witnesses figuratively. His warning on his second visit constitutes one witness against them. The present warning in conjunction with the upcoming third visit amounts to a second witness. Now, we can speak to this in a figurative sense, sure, But there is also a more literal sense to be had here, because 
In addition to understanding witnesses in the figurative sense, Paul's use of Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, conveys a deeper level of meaning, one that rests on taking the literal meaning of the word witness itself. Uh, the Greek word that translates to witness is martyria. Martyria, a term certainly that denotes one who bears witness at the cost of his or her life. We've talked about this, martyr, martyria, witness, okay? Now, what's interesting here is the phrase, on the testimony of, if you go back to verse 1, we read this third time I am coming to you, on the testimony of two or three. That is a phrase that speaks to out of the mouth of, okay, out of, out of the mouth of two or three. So at the most fundamental level, Paul is referring to Christ Jesus and to himself as these martyrs and as witnesses, as they bear witness, testimony to the saving love of the Father out of their mouth. So not only are they doing it with their life, but also with what they say. And this is very important for us to understand because I think there's a tendency for some of us to reduce witness to the act. Uh, But remember, what does Jesus say? Go therefore, baptize, and teach. The church is a teaching church, proclaiming God's Word. We grow in faith. What does St. Paul say? By what we hear. Okay, so out of the mouth of. This is the testimony that St. Paul is speaking to. And of course, here, St. Paul holds up Jesus as the first witness, the one whose entire life was marked by obedience to God's will, and at the same time, himself as a second witness. Indeed, St. Paul has portrayed himself throughout the letter as bearing witness by always carrying in the body the dying of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10, right? And as he does so, he offers himself in self-giving love and enduring suffering for others because Christ dwells in him. You know, off the top, I was talking about the need we have to be present to those who are suffering around us. All of these natural disasters, if it's not a hurricane and tropical storm, it's an earthquake. If it's not an earthquake, it's a fire. If it's not a fire in Northern California, it's a fire in Southern California. Everywhere you turn, there are natural disasters. But even beyond the natural disasters, we know that over 90% in all the world goes to bed hungry. What are we doing about this, my friends? I mean, this is a question I have to ask myself all the time. I have to look in the mirror. Joe, what are you doing for those who have less? Never settling for a day's good work. Let God worry about that. Be restless in God, right? Be restless in God. If there's a mark of a saint, it is that they are always restless to do more. And if they rest, it's only in God. But when we rest in God, we become restless to do more, if you follow what I'm saying. St. Paul was restless. He was always wanting to do more. And he was always wanting to do more because, because the body of the dying Jesus was always inside of him, constantly preaching Christ crucified. What comes out of Paul's mouth is not only the proclamation, Jesus Christ is Lord, but also the words of his commitment to humbly serve the Corinthians in love. 
thereby embodying authentically what it means to speak in Christ. There's chapter 12, verse 19. To speak in Christ. So St. Paul thus presents Jesus and himself to the community as two martyrs who bear witness to complete faithfulness and obedience to God. Certainly, as touched upon implicit here is the exhortation that the community is to emulate their example. Now, what we talk about here is bolstered by the subsequent verses, as Paul acknowledges that the Corinthians have challenged him to offer proof of Christ speaking in him. As we have already seen in Paul's second letter to the church of Corinth, proof terminology pertains to what? But the testing of character. It also refers to the tried and true quality of character ascertained by such testing. In criticizing Paul for his humility, for his unimpressive appearance and speaking abilities, and for his suffering and weaknesses, some members of the community, likely abetted by the super apostles, right? By those intruding missionaries, have called St. Paul's character into question. This is what's going on here. Is he really an instrument through whom Jesus reveals himself? Shouldn't a a genuine apostle demonstrate more impressive qualities than St. Paul does? Have you heard these questions before? (laughs) And so how does St. Paul address these questions? By simply assuring the community that through his ministry, Christ is powerful among them and in you, right? (laughs) As he says. But he also warns them to appreciate how Christ's power will be operative through him and how Christ will continue to speak in him. You see, my friends, in chapter 13, verse 2, Paul has just made clear one way it will be evident that Christ speaks in him, through his apostolic authority to discipline those who have remained in their sinful ways. In doing so, he seeks to correct their limited and very finite understanding of how divine power is manifested. Yes, as Father Stegman notes here, this power is revealed when necessary through the exercise of authority to discipline. This power is exercised and revealed through signs and wonders and mighty deeds, as we talked about in chapter 12, verse 12. But, but as Paul has been insisting all along, God's power also works through weakness. Weakness. This is what some of the Corinthians, my friends, have simply failed to appreciate. And here, I would like to turn our attention to Pope Benedict's uh, second volume of Jesus of Nazareth, where he engages uh, the very subject matter that we are talking about now. And he does so in the context of the question that Pontius Pilate asks Jesus Christ, what is truth? So what I would like to do just by way of close is well close with Benedict XVI. And as I close with Benedict XVI's words, please contemplate what Benedict XVI is saying here specifically to power and weakness. What is truth? Pilate was not alone in dismissing this question as unanswerable and irrelevant for his purposes. Today, too, in political argument and in discussion of the foundations of law, it is generally experienced as disturbing. (laughs) Yet if man lives without truth, life passes him by, 
ultimately he surrenders the field to whoever is the stronger. Redemption, Benedict says, in the fullest sense can only consist in the truth becoming recognizable. And it becomes recognizable when God becomes recognizable. He becomes recognizable in Jesus Christ. In Christ, God entered the world and set up the criterion of truth in the midst of history. Truth is outwardly powerless in the world, just as Christ is powerless by the world's standards. He has no legions. He is crucified. Yet, in his very powerlessness, he is powerful. Only thus, again and again, does truth become power. Amen. Truth becomes powerful, my friends, because once we understand the nature of love itself, then truth can abide in man. What do I mean? Well, simply, if you want love to live within you, then empty yourself. Give love away, making more room for love to enter back into your soul. And continue that cycle. Give love, receive more love. Give more love, receive more love. Truth becomes more powerful the more we give love away. What you feed grows. This, my friends, is the lasting lesson of St. Paul. I preach Jesus Christ, yes, but Jesus Christ crucified, crucified, because there's where the power abides. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good and gracious God, we do just give you special thanks and praise for the gift of another evening, the gift to be able to reflect into the richness and beauty of your living word. Heavenly Father, St. Paul has so many lessons for us. It is an honor and a privilege just to tap into his wisdom, that his insights into the Christian way of living might impact everything we do. So we seek your grace. We ask that you would pour your grace into our very souls, that we might give glory to you in all that we do as we render in our own lives the very truths that St. Paul speaks to, that indeed we may glorify you in all that we say and in all that we do, that out from our mouth we may proclaim Christ crucified. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.